I'm Lottie, founder of The Copy Club, a community of entrepreneurial marketeers helping to make each other's lives easier. This is The Marketing Hustle, where we're joined by the founders and starting teams of some of our favorite businesses to discover the strategies, hard work, and hustle that got them to their first 10,000 customers. In this episode, I spoke to Sarah Welsh, founder of Hanks, who makes sexual wellness essentials that look good on your bedside table. In a male-dominated category, where brands call themselves Trojan and are all about conquest, they're aiming to stand out. We talked about the similarities of Sarah's previous career as a sexual health nurse and her new role building a brand, and how her unusual approach to relationships with her agencies, working with them over time, has delivered really remarkable results. I want to hear your tale. So tell me, where did it all begin? So basically, Hank started when a friend Farah and I got together because we kind of know each other from school. But two things happened. I was working in such a health clinic, so my background's in medicine. So I was working in such a health clinic, you know, finding it really, you know, seeing a lot of women coming off hormones, like a massive big backlash against hormones, but also, you know, a lot of people wanting to, you know, use protection, but not you know, couldn't find something that was right for them. So condoms being a huge part for STI protection, but, you know, people don't particularly like using them. Anyway, so I was seeing all this rise of difficult treat STIs, people coming with hormones, a lot of backlash, and also a lot of things that were going inside people's bodies causing uh, irritation or infection because of products they were using. Alongside this, Farah, like my good friend from school, she bumped into her boss buying condoms. She was working in banking at the time and was totally mortified. She just like had a bright red pack in her hand boss was right behind her she was like oh my god so she was telling me the story and I was like it's so bad that like in this day and age we are that embarrassed about taking control of our sexual health and but I get it and like I'd be the same and it is slightly mm. awkward and that whole trip down the condom aisle and all that kind of stuff so we felt that it was really important to just open that or like open up that product range to that audience and kind of open up the conversation around sexual wellness and positive sexual health and all of those kind of good stuff. But there's just no brand that was really speaking to women in particular. Um, and like I say, I was seeing a lot of people having backlash against the pill or wanting to change up their contraceptive and know the natural choices as well. So we got really excited about condoms and we we're like, let's make a condom brand that's suitable for women and kind to the body and kind to the planet. And we kind of made, did a lot of research into the market and realized actually you know, there is a market for this and it's not just us and let's, let's do it. And so we did it. And then that was, so we launched end of 2017. So a few years ago now. And then since then we've launched different pack sizes, different size range, um, our lubricant. And then we've kind of expanded the offering to, you know, cause we really want to build that community and expanded the offering into like intimate wealth products online. So like pharmacy products for vaginal health treatments that are like slightly taboo, like thrush and BV and things. So yeah. And just like having a lot of content around positive sexual health, owning your sexuality, look like finding products that are like not going to cause you thrush or whatever, like all this kind of stuff. So it's exciting. How did you get your first big break? It's an incredible story from an idea but you've not got to where you are today easily. So what was the first big milestone? Do you know what? I feel like there were lots of little ones. I feel like we making the jump from like leaving our respective careers and to do it was a big milestone for both of us. And actually part of what helped that is when we were part of an accelerator. So Huggle Trees, like co-working mm. space. So we we were part of like their first like cohort of, of accelerator companies. And actually that was so 
really good for us because it kind of grounded us you know we were like what you know what are we doing how do we do this who do we talk to so it really kind of opened our network and it gave us a bit of structure to kind of startup life if you like and then there were other people in the same boat and other companies and you know just stuff like that so I felt that that was really important in kind of growth of the business but then in terms of our big break I feel like just lots of little things have been happening. Obviously, launching Boots was big when they, you know, yeah. them for a while. But that was kind of big in terms of, you know, mass. Actually, these guys are actually wanting to distribute us throughout the UK. So that was big. But yeah, I'd say like Huckle Tree Accelerator was one of the first bigger things. And then getting investment. I have no doubt they were big breaks in terms of getting the product into people's hands. How did you make that happen? Do you know what? It was just like a lot of hustling and like even just just sampling, like because we have a very easy product to sample. Like we have one packs that are just literally easy and we can just see them everywhere. So like sampling, whether it was at events, like going to loads of networking events, but also pitching events, going to you know, bars and restaurants and literally leaving them there or going to, you know, working with partners and saying like every time you buy X and kind of trying to associate ourselves and align ourselves with beauty standards and beauty cues and saying actually you know why do condoms have to be like really grossly packaged and you know not something that's nice on your bedside table or your handbag or whatever so we kind of aligned ourselves with partners and brands that were doing similar things so whether it was in you know in Globar or in Coco de Mer we're in these like nicer retailers so that you know just getting our sample everywhere our samples everywhere was a really useful thing for us and then things like sponsoring Yacht Week so like being in all the cabins at Yacht Week just so people can think about us when they're having a good time I think that that's always been a really big thing for us and even like freshers weeks or you know wherever it might be wherever our target market is like getting our product there has been super important so yeah and obviously retailers help that right because that's mass so retailers then do a big job in terms of retail and distribution you're saying you get it everywhere but actually it's a laser focused sampling strategy I think you're doing yourself a disservice You've put it in locations where people who will buy your product and look for something else are. I love the way you've used hustle because this is after all called the marketing hustle uh, for those moments where you say hustle because it's such an underrated skill. You've just talked about how it happened, but that's not true at all. You worked so hard and in such a carefully strategic way. So what do you think made your hustle successful in those early years? I think, you know, we were so focused in what we were wanting to do and the mission of, you know, empowering people to take control of their sexual health in a fun way and actually opening that conversation so everyone, you know, had access to good, positive sexual wellness. And I think we we really believe and believed and believe in what we're doing and what we're set, like what we're selling and what our brand stands for. So that's really helpful. And I think just being like really like persevering and not giving up and just consistently grafting I think is consistent graft and a very clear sense of what you want to achieve so today who does your marketing and how does it work we're a super small team so we all kind of get involved in the high level strategy stuff as in we all me and Farah but Farah kind of heads up more of the finance and I head up more of the marketing and then we've got a marketing exec Charlotte who's great and then we've got kind of extensions of the team which are agencies so like performance marketing agencies email marketing agencies design like graphic designers um who we all kind of think of as an extension of the team but core there's literally three of us so that's awesome yeah and we actually we do have an ambassador program whereby again they're kind of an extension of the team as well so they're you know you know we we see with them and, and kind of they're the first to know about new products and 
you know, the nitty gritty of, of Hanks and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. How have you found your transition from sexual health professional to brand builder? What have you learned along the way? Oh God, so much learning all the time, <laughs> like learning all the time. And it's very different from, you know, it's very different in lots of ways, but I think, so I was working in kind of obstetrics, gynecology and sexual health. So it was varied, you know, you'd be in theatre, you'd be delivering babies, you'd be in clinics, you'd be, you know, it was all really varied. And that is exactly what it's like at Hanks, right? It's constantly varied. You're meeting new people all the time, you, you know, learning stuff about people and, you know, how consumers react to, uh, you know, products and campaigns and where they are and, you know, how to get your mission across to them in the right way because it seems so obvious to us because we're like well this is what we're doing and you know yeah it's actually that like execution and being yeah laser sharp with what you're doing so yes learning loads and we've got an amazing yeah we've got an amazing team but also directors of the company who a lot of them have got a handful that are kind of experienced in marketing or building brands and I'm learning from them as well and it's really nice to have that kind of support when they've built like global companies and definitely and also learning from other partners like another brands that we talk to and work with and how do they do things and you know that kind of stuff which is always really nice like collaborative working because we're all kind of yeah absolutely so what marketing are you most proud of? I think that Charlotte and the team, and we all do a really good job of tone of voice and our kind of, yeah, our brand message, because, you know, the big dogs in our category don't have that amicable, you know, relatable, open, honest tone of voice. And actually, I think that that spans across from all of our marketing, from email to social, and actually our social is really engaged and people do like the content we're putting out and you know I think that that's what sets us apart is that kind of you know this part of our wellness should be be normalized a bit more but so I think that and that's kind of copying out the question a little bit but <laughs> tone of voice is a good answer you guys do have a really distinctive way of talking about the category that is refreshing how did that happen or was it a process it was a process and we did quite a lot of brand work with an agent mm. who were great but we we did a lot of brand work around kind of what you know who are we what are we who's our customer where are they what what do we want to be and where do we fit and actually so it was a, it was a, a definite process and actually when we look when I look back at like from when we, when we launched it it has developed and evolved the brand wasn't always like that you know we, yeah. we've always had the same values and you know being the same company effectively but we've definitely grown, developed and honed in on exactly, you know, the brand, like the aspects of the brand. So um, it's definitely been a process. And obviously we're constantly evolving as our customer is and as our products develop and the range develops and the world's different. Yeah. So, yeah. So what has changed in that voice over time? I think we're definitely a little bit more cheeky and fun than we used to be because I think we we're probably a bit scared initially, you know, you know, people need to take us seriously. And that's been a struggle for us, right? We're a new product in a category that needs to be trusted like you can't you know do they work like is it legit I'm just going to go for the brand that I know so we really need to be trusted so it's been you know a real process to kind of eke out the funness which we always wanted to do and sex should be fun right but I think the whole point was that we need to be legit and educational as well and it's quite hard to find that that balance like it's quite nuanced to be fun educational like educational serious and like legit so trusted but then fun, like relatable at the same time. So I think that's what's changed. And we've realised that actually, we, yeah, sex should be fun and we don't need to be serious about it all the time. I'd love to hear you define what's wrong with the category at the moment. What are you doing to disrupt it? So I think at the moment, 
the categories being very male dominated and targeted with kind of garish packaging, uh, you know, promoting a man's conquest a lot of the time, like the names like Trojan and, you know, like it's very masculine. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no one speaking to that kind of, you know, well, female market, but also, you know, not all our customers are obviously women, you know, so it's it's kind of just broadening it to have a bit more of a feminine touch and a bit more of a relatable touch. So I think there's the the way the things look and you don't want them by your bedside or on your, the way that the brand speaks to the consumer. So again, yeah, the relatable side of it, which isn't out there. I don't think at the moment, no kind of condom brand is particularly relatable. Yeah, like just that community aspect as well, which is really important to us. So building a community of like-minded well, people that can just come to a safe space to talk about these things that they might feel uncomfortable talking to other people about. Okay, let's drill into community. It's something I'm so passionate about and I think it's used way too often as a buzzword. There are so many brands who say, I am a community, but that might mean I follow you on social, but actually I'm not part of your community at all. And that's so far off from me feeling like a participant. So what does community actually mean to you and how have you built that? Yeah, I think there's there's so many different touch points with community, like community, you know, obviously social media is a part of that and engaging in social and speaking to a consumer through social is a part of that, as is the email marketing. But I think it's more than that. And it's, it's you know, the, the content that we're putting out there is speaking to the community and the people that, you know, come onto our site and read about whether it's something fun and, you know, frivolous or whether it's something educational and serious. Like we've got that kind of all that content covered about sexual wellness. And we have a forum as well, which is a basically you know mum's net without your mum or you know but it's basically talks you know people go on there to talk about things that are a bit embarrassing or a breakup or whatever something about sex that they want some advice on and people can come and you can be anonymous if you want obviously but otherwise you can come and just have a chat about something with other people within that community so it's kind of it's giving it's empowering them to to also have a voice rather than us just churning out stuff for them like and I think we're very as a brand very good at listening to our consumer you know we're constantly doing surveys about attitudes or what we want to see next and you know we've pivoted our packaging because of what consumers have said we've pivoted like our product development due to what our consumers wanted and you know even during lockdown we created like a hormone harmony kit when people were starting to get the pill and wanted to come off hormones and you know just quite reactive and as a small team we can be reactive and even things like events as well for again the Hanks community you know there's people that a regular and they might not necessarily be subscribers or you know buying the product all the time but they're part of the community and they come to the events and they're engaged in the kind of stuff that we're talking about and this kind of space so I think it's not just there's not just mm. one aspect of community it's kind of that bigger picture that's so interesting and exciting I feel like getting to the heart of that and the actionable insight is that you've built a community because the core of your product is something that someone really wants to feel connected around and they don't have a community space at the moment. So unlike most of the time the word community is used, you're building a really genuine need. You know, all parts of wellness, we think of our physical health and, you know, there's lots of great gyms that have like communities and we think of our mental health, which is getting better in terms of us talking about it. We think of like so many different parts of our wellness or health, but sexual wellness is never really spoken about and there's no one really kind of owning that. And it's getting definitely getting better, but you know, it encompasses all parts, like emotional, psychological, relationships, physical. So I think that, like you say, there is a genuine need and people are dying to talk about 
stuff related to sex but there's just not a platform or a community that they feel safe to do so because it is taboo and people do feel like they're being judged or whatever it might be so you know and we're always kind of changing what we're offering to support that but you know yeah we're still a very small team a small brand but what's the vision where are you guys going to be in three five years time so expanding our products you know from a woman's first time having sex to a first child and beyond you know we want to be able to offer that that community more than just what we've got at the moment um, and building on the community and listening to them and, and supporting them in, in the ways that they tell us they need and then also geographical expansion as well I mean we're mainly UK based at the moment so yeah I think uh, world domination in five years time <laughs> let's do it I want to come back to world domination because that is such an exciting aspiration and how you tackle that is huge. But let's start with what you've said on expanding products, listening to consumers. Um, You've touched on the importance of carrying out surveys. How do you actually tangibly remain really close to those consumers and truly deliver on what they need? I mean, it's tricky because you can't force someone to answer a survey or engage with certain things. I think it's just making sure that we're listening in every way possible and you know whether that is a survey or email respondents or events or you know hopefully in real life is more and more because I do think that's really important that we do get that kind of contact face-to-face with our community we've done things like focus groups as well especially around product development which I think is helpful surveys we started doing a couple of years ago now and we do them roughly every couple of months and it's what's going on at the moment what do we you know, genuinely want to know and understand about our community or the people that are buying our products or what do we want to know about them? So for example, we did a survey when we launched the lubricant. So what kind of thing do you want to see? But before we launched and developed it, what do you want to see? You know, loads of questions around product. And then we did a focus group. But then we've also done surveys around, so during lockdown, we did a fantasy survey. So our people have like basically, you know, what people's fantasies in lockdown, where are people at, what's people, you know, so that was interesting. And then we've done one just recently around kind of people's attitudes of coming out of lockdown and how that's going to affect their sex lives or they how, how they anticipate it will affect their sex lives. You know, it's kind of saying, what what do you think is going to happen? How do you feel at the moment? Are you wanting to date again? What do you want to see from a sexual wellness brand that can have an impact in this space to support you changing because the world's so different now and obviously like sex is like going to be different especially if people dating or they haven't been in a relationship or been intimate with someone for a long time and it's quite interesting to see the, the changes between you know people in relationships and their sex lives and the libidos that have changed in that sense and then also the single people who are dating and want to there's all these kind of interesting kind of behavioral changes but ultimately you know we still need to have protection for these people when they come out so yeah so I think we're yeah constantly wanting to know more about the audience and about what they want and where they're at so surveys we do every few months and then we publish all the survey results on our website so you know we share it with all of everyone and what do you know about the sex life of the UK that no one else knows there must be so many gems so many gems I mean it's quite interesting at the moment about the you know I feel like people in lockdown have either had loads of sex or no sex basically and even like not necessarily just if you're locked down with a partner because of also anonymous surveys but you know people have broken lockdown obviously to see partners like that's going to happen but also yeah and people in relationships or locked down with a partner or their libido has often been 
slammed because of everything going on. So they everyone thinks they're having loads of sex, but they're not. So it's it's such like a it's like one extreme or the other almost. But yeah, there's lots of nuggets and fun, you know. So the stress of COVID has knocked the nation's libido. Yeah, it really has. And actually, it's going to go wild. <laughs> I think. Oh yeah, that's is that your forecast? You heard it here first. Everyone's ready. This is brilliant. It's quite emotive and relevant. What can you do with that information to better satisfy your consumers or to find more? You know, obviously product is something if people are wanting certain products to support. But I think the, the main thing, you know, for us, it's so important to educate because, you know, sex educations at school are pretty rubbish. So we're trying to support sex education at school, but also kind of have that education for people that never had that or have education on things that maybe will support people at different stages. So, you know, let's let's talk about libido for example and allow people to understand it a bit more and get people talking about it on the forum so they actually realize that they're not stupid they're not you know abnormal or you know this is something that can be worked through or whatever it might be so I think content is huge so making sure that we're pushing out content that's like relatable and you know relevant to what what they're telling us and adjusting product if need be or or changing what product we're we're launching Um, and we, we listen to people saying, you know, I'd like to see you in X retailer or, you know, why don't you do this or what, you know, so all, all those kind of things really. So product, mm. content, and then forum support as well. Yeah. And when you say content, because content is another bucket term, buzzword like community, what what does content mean to you? So again, loads of things. So blog content is, you know, we, we do have a really engaged blog. So blog is one thing, but also social. So a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about on our blog will relay across on our social media. So whether that's in a creative way or or just check out a blog kind of thing. And email emails as well, you know, we'll, we'll see the three there. So I think they're probably the main main content buckets in the way. And then podcasts, we do have a podcast and we're hopefully doing another my other question was going to be that, like, whether you're thinking about other content vehicles, because I feel like having anonymous conversations around sex is such a rich creative territory. And um, I want the YouTube channel. I want the podcast. When are they coming? When can I get it all? We've got, we've done a series one of the podcasts and we need to do series two. Honestly, it's, it's needed. We just, we need to grow our team because it's, we're all a bit slammed at the moment. We'd love to do more on the podcast because that's a really nice conversational way to talk about these kind of things. YouTube channel. Interesting. Maybe that's the next thing. We we're tell us what 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 you want to see. We'll do it. <laughs> Great, no pressure. Great. So let's move on to world domination and looking forward. You've got boots, which is massive. Uh, what are the next notches in the bedpost? We can use a sex metaphor here. What's next? So what's coming next? I mean, we recently launched in Sainsbury's, which is really exciting. So we're kind of big win for us. We are, you know, I guess big notches would be international expansion so getting the equivalent of these big stores in and presence within you know countries across Europe initially and then hopefully the states but so geographical notches and then also yeah we have got I can't share yet the products but we've got some exciting products coming so watch this space but yeah we've got some exciting products in the pipeline so again like I said that kind of whole holistic journey of a life cycle of woman. So we're yeah. supporting, supporting that in a fun way. And when you launch into a new market, are you going to do what you did here or are there things that you'll change about your approach? Have you got the playbook locked down or is there something new? 
It's a really good question because sex is spoken about very differently in very in different places, like even across Europe countries are so vastly different in like the cultural ways they speak about sex how they're you know so that is you know something we're very aware of um and actually a lot of countries already love the branding and our kind of tone of voice and things but ultimately we'll have to pivot slightly you know we're not going to change who we are as a brand but i think you know you have to be sensitive to you know how customers respond because of the way that they are and you know this kind of Scandinavian countries are great. They're quite liberal, liberal about sex and the sex education system is really good and they quite open. Whereas there's lots of other countries that are very like they won't even, you know, you can't even buy condoms in the shop because it's like that taboo to even have a condom. Like it's so so we have to be sensitive about that. And obviously that's, mm. you know, yeah. Does that affect the way you're thinking about which market to go to next? Am I right to think that you'll go for the ones that are more open or actually is the next place to start markets where the conversations just aren't happening at all? It's interesting because the the sales, like if you look at condom sales in certain countries, they're actually really high, even though people don't talk about sex. So, it, the, you know, there's there's a, a balance, I think. And it's not necessarily saying we're avoiding any countries either way, whether they're open or they're not. But I think it's just something that we just need to be wary of when we like our go-to-market strategy in the in those countries are going to be different um and the people we're using we're going to be you know influencers or whether it's you know whether it is through retail or whether it's all online and we have kind of you know more of a private community or you know i think that it's just something to be aware of and it's not that we're not targeting any of these countries and you know there's no right answer either you know we don't want to change people's ways um necessarily that's fascinating Again, so much great dinner party table stuff around what's going on. It's such an interesting category. And you're right that it really needs to be talked about. I think going back to what we discussed about your team and the way you work with agencies and freelancers, because that's really interesting. The scale, maturity and finish of both the creative that you produce, your content and your distribution strategy. To do that with such a small team is phenomenal. Um, That must mean you have a really unique way of working with agencies and freelancers. Do you think there's a way you do it that means that you get the best out of people? Yeah, I think it's very different to other startups that just raises money and then hire a massive team. And, you know, there's there's different ways of doing it. We've, Farron and I have always wanted to be lean and, you know, keep things kind of small in terms of overhead. So I think we do have really great relationships. And actually, I, I mentioned these freelancers and agencies, and they are an extension of the team because especially a lot of them we've worked with like from the beginning or from near the beginning so and that's the way they work and that's the way we quite like to work and actually you know we're dialing up and dialing down certain things and you know and we do have a very hard working team we're actually hiring at the moment as well but we you know our marketing exec is great at turning out content she's got like you know and she does a lot of the creative and the copy herself so like we're aware that there's a lot of hard work within the team as well and I think that the the people externally it's worked well for us does not mean to say that people bringing in house is, is also not the right way of doing it mm. but it's worked well for us so far and I think um it feels like the right thing to do as we grow I think there's something interesting in the way you've done things and maybe that's because you've just done it and it's great and accidental that you're not describing it as your success but I think setting up relationships with a long-term view is quite unusual Typically, people use freelancers or agencies as a, this will do until we can build in-house. And it sets out a, a specific kind of relationship with, with that person. But 
it seems that you've decided that a long that it's a long-term play and you're probably communicating with these freelancers and agencies in that way and then giving them a kind of degree of flexibility security of freedom that perhaps allows them to work in a different way with you I think I think you're right and it's like it's really helped that we have been honest with them and built a bit of a relationship that way um and that doesn't mean you know at some point some of these things that we're we've outsourcing to agencies especially some of them marketing related ones you know ideally at some point that will come in-house but you know that has risks with it as well and it's finding the right person and it's making sure that you know at the moment we're having an, an agency team is great because you can pick on all the different people within it and yeah definitely yeah it has its pros and cons for sure have there been highs and lows to those relationships? Oh, yeah, for sure. Highs and lows. And, you know, I think, and it always comes down to making sure that we're all communicating effectively, I think, is probably, you know, what makes the relationship work well. But there'll be the highs and lows when there's business highs and lows, there's highs and lows when there's the, there's challenges. Um, and that's to be, I suppose. Yeah. But isn't that so ironically true of life as a whole? It's all about communicating effectively and sticking at relationships. And, oh, wow, you're actually meant to do that at work as well. You should know that that's so refreshing. And I think the agencies you work with will really appreciate it, even if they haven't said that. Two final questions that we ask everyone that comes on these Copy Club events. What brands inspire you? And what have you stolen from them and why? I was just trying to think. I had someone else. I mean, there's also lots of kind of... um, you know, Oatly, for example, great what they've done. They're pushing boundaries. They're they're innovating in an area that was like very not a big area, you know, when they launched and and had a lot of pushback and lots of challenges from the big dogs, which is, you know, or the dairy industry or whatever. So they, they're called the branding school. And there's a, obviously like minor figures. There's a few other kind of oat milk players that are, are really cool in terms of their branding and the way they speak to their consumer. We're working with the jewellery company called Motley, who are also super cool. And the way that they, they treat their suppliers and the designers of the jewellery is really lovely. And the design's cool. And it's just like a really cool brand. So, and, and they're in like spaces that are obviously different to us, but there's always crossover with, you know, sustainability or design or, you know, that kind of stuff. Final question. What can someone who's listening to this do to help? Check out Hanks, talk about Hanks, share Hanks with your friends, look, you know, tell us what you want to see from us, what you want to, you know, any feedback is always welcome, you know, engage with our social and our blog and our, you know, community forum. Just, yeah, talk to us and talk about us. Yeah, talking about you, I think that's the key thing. Like, this is such a story worth telling because it's a great brand and women deserve um, to feel like there's a product that's built for them. Um, I'm going to go tell all my girlfriends. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight. Um, really nice chat. Um, thanks for your support. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Hi. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this chat with Sarah. Come back next week for a conversation with Alana Lever, one of the founders of Motley, who make original jewellery by independent designers and one of my favourite e-commerce platforms. We'd love to hear any feedback you have on thoughts or thoughts on how we can make this podcast more interesting. If you're ever in need of marketing support, please do send us a message or get involved at thecopyclub.co.uk. See you next week.